Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. The manufacturing skills gap is one of the most urgent challenges facing key industry players today. Just over 50% of manufacturing leaders anticipate difficulties in attracting and retaining talent in the future, according to recent results of the National Association of Manufacturers Outlook Survey. However, the manufacturing sector has started increasingly tapping into a new demographic for an up-and-coming workforce, U.S. veterans. Our guest today is experienced in both military and industrial careers, and he sees a huge opportunity for veterans who are looking for a new path after their service. Lieutenant Commander Terry Farrell served as a commanding officer up until this past January when he joined the San Gabon team as the North American IP Telephony Voice Services Project Manager. Together with the building materials giant, Terry has developed the San Gabon Veterans Employee Resource Group, which helps bring visibility and awareness to the needs of the company's current and potential veteran associations and supporters. Today, Terry and I will discuss how veterans can serve as key assets to your industrial organization, and he'll share his insights into how industrial business leaders can provide valuable opportunities to our skilled veterans. Hey, super excited, Terry, to get into the meat of the matter here. I I can't tell you how thrilled I was to see that you had accepted our invitation to appear on the podcast. To start off, let me thank you for your service and thank you for what you're doing. It is really remarkable. And this podcast will be released around Veterans Day. So it's going to have a particular resonance for certainly many of us and certainly for you and many of your peers who are also veterans. Why don't we start by discussing your background? How did you initially get inspired to enlist in the military? It's a lifelong thing. My father was a uh, career naval officer. He was what we call a Mustang. He came up through the ranks. He enlisted right after World War II, and he was in it for 26 years, I believe. Retired as a lieutenant commander. So I, I was around the Navy my whole life, and I have an older brother who joined the Navy, another who joined the Coast Guard, and it just seemed like a natural progression for me. It turned into a bit of a competition between myself and my father at one point, but it heads with my dad as a teenager, as many young men do. And I joined the Navy without telling him in the middle of my senior year in high school. And he tried everything he could to get me to not do it. He tried to get me to go to the Naval Academy. And I said, no, I didn't want to do that. He said, just go to college. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go in the Navy. And I want to show you that I can do everything you can do. And so I joined for all the wrong reasons, basically. But it, it turned into a pretty successful career for me. <laughs> Boy, has it. That's a fantastic story. I didn't know that part of the, the story. Yeah, but, and it's remarkable. My thanks to your family as well. That's really a remarkable family that puts in that level of service. From there, what led you to San Gabon? How did you make that connection? It was actually through a uh, woman I used to work with at a different company. I was working as a... Uh, telecommunications analyst. This one particular job, we spent every day putting call centers in around the world. And it was a pretty arduous job. We had large clients that wanted call centers up and running so that they could sell their products. There was really no little breathing room. And at one point, the company decided to go and implement the uh, ITIL at the Information Technology Infrastructure Library Standards. And so the IT department set up incident management change management and problem management protocols. And they needed a problem manager. 
So in addition to my telecom analyst duties, I became an incident manager and I became the problem manager for the IT department. And I was working from home as the problem manager. The big thing about a problem manager is you spend your day asking, why did that happen? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Or why didn't you do? And it got very difficult to turn that off at the end of the day. And so the kids would come home from school and they would do something and my wife would come home and, and finally she told me one day that she said, you are not a happy person and you're not a nice person. And if you don't make a change, I will. <laughs> so I got the message pretty clear and I started looking for another job and I saw this company, Sankamaya Corporation, and it just sounded really familiar. And so I started looking you know, through uh, my contacts and I found somebody that worked there and we had worked together for five years or so. And so I reached out to her and I said, what can you tell me about this company? And she said, I can tell you that you need to apply for that job right now. And I did. And it was a whirlwind romance through the interview process. And within two and a half, three weeks, I was hired as a telecom analyst slash project manager. So that's where I am now. I got to say, Terry, my wife is going to really enjoy this uh, particular podcast <laughs> because we share a common thing. I Early in my career, as I was coming up through management, my wife confronted me one day and said, I want to be clear, you don't manage me. So you can do that at work, but you don't need to do that at home. So I can tell your wife, I can somewhat relate to the story there. I get, I get that from the Navy side too, when I come home and she tells me she's not one of my sailors. Yeah, exactly. It's a little hard to do at times, I'm sure. Before we got going, you and I shared a bit of perspective of particularly in industrial and manufacturing markets is that there's a huge skill shortage, as you know. And in, in our most recent survey, 38% of U.S. manufacturing companies are hiring, even through the difficult times of the pandemic. And we're in the hundreds of thousands of jobs that go wanting. You have these well-trained, motivated, disciplined folks coming out of the military. And I think we've struggled through the years to find organizing mechanisms to bring talent to need in, in, in the right way. What role did you play creating the Veterans Employee Resource Group? And, and I think you go by the acronym of ERG at San Goban. Why did you feel it was important is obvious, but give us a little background on that. When I was hired, we were coming towards the end of a, a process that the company was going through to move from Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, where they had been for 40 years, to a, a new office in Malvern, and it was going to be the headquarters for North America. And I got pulled into that process. One day I was at the headquarters. I got an email from somebody who had no idea who this person was. And he said that he was putting together a veterans employee resource group and wanted to know if I was interested. And if I was to attend a meeting at the old headquarters. So I showed up at the date and time specified and there were eight or 10 other people in the room. And we talked about what the group should be and how it should work and who was going to set it up. Then we started moving from one building to the other over the next couple months, and I didn't hear anything. So after the moves are all done, I reached back out to that guy and said, hey, what's going on? Are we doing this group or not? And he said, oh, yeah, I was just getting ready to send another email to you guys again. So we got the same group back together, and I just kept pushing. Several others were pushing as well because we felt that there was a lot of value in this. So we kept pushing the issue, and as luck would have it, the people who pushed the hardest end up becoming the steering committee for the group. And it came down to one day say, hey, who's going to be in charge? We need it. We need somebody. And since I had been the pain pushing on this thing, I got nominated to be the chairman of the group. 
You know, Terry, there's a recurring theme in, in your background here. All kidding aside, I love hearing stories like that. And I used to have a boss that used the term voluntold. I'd agitate for something and I'd get the, hey, sounds like you volunteer. Great. Why don't you go? This? But it's a great example of your leadership. Do you have some case studies of making a difference with this and help our listeners understand? Because again, I'm a huge believer that we need to do more of these types of programs because of connecting these you know, talented, well-trained folks into really good, lucrative jobs. I think our biggest success story is uh, we are a, a premier partner with a group called Homes for Our Troops. And they are based out of, I believe, Taunton, Massachusetts. And they build homes for disabled veterans. And as one of their partners, we supply the roofing, siding, insulation, and uh, all board for these homes. So Sangamon's primary goal is to be the leader in sustainable habitat. So this dovetails really nicely with it. We donate our products and expertise in installing those products to make these homes possible, but make them comfortable environmentally, physically, all that for veterans who have lost limbs in most cases and have some severe disabilities, but we're, we're pretty instrumental in setting up their new homes. And I believe they just delivered their 350th new home. And they do this around the country. It's a national effort. If you look at where the large VA centers are, that's probably where a lot of these homes are. So yeah, that, that's our biggest success story. But we also try on local levels. I recently started pushing to reorganize the group and tell the people at the different plants, because we have approximately 120 locations throughout North America. And it didn't seem efficient for us to have one group in Pennsylvania telling all these other locations, hey, go out and work on this charitable effort. So we have the corporate set up for Homes for Our Troops. And then we tell the plant groups to go out and find something that needs to be addressed in your community and make a difference. Get our name out there, but go out there and make a difference in your community because it's going to be more meaningful to them. So we participate in Tours for Tots in a lot of locations. And in the Philadelphia area, we collect donations for the Veterans Multi-Resource Center down in Philadelphia, all, all kinds of things like that. Yeah, it's really admirable and it's inspiring. It's a great example, Terry, of doing good by doing good. And I, I'm a huge fan of seeing organizations like yours put together these types of programs. Hey, leaning on your experience in history, for some of our listeners who might be looking at veterans as a way to fill the skills shortage or to hire, what characteristics or skills would you identify that veterans possess? Hey, I had a canned answer for this for the longest time based on what I felt it should be. And when we started talking about doing the podcast, I thought maybe I should check with some other people. <laughs> <laughs> I basically got the same answer, which is veterans are very moldable. They're flexible, adaptable to many situations. They bring a wealth of experience just by virtue of all the things they've done in their careers. And from the ground up, from like the earliest part of their enlistment, leadership is instilled. And it doesn't matter what service it is. That's pretty much a constant. You are continually from the lowest level up to the senior officers. You're constantly being told about leadership, taught it, indoctrinated it. And so it's something that we all bring back. A lot of veterans 
are always looking to improve processes. From my point of view, I, I can be lazy sometimes. So I want to make sure that my effort is going to be efficient so that I can go back to being lazy. Um, and I'm not saying all veterans are like that, but their continuous process improvement <laughs> is kind of inherent in the job, as well as safety. And safety really dovetails pretty well with Sagamon's corporate culture. Boy, those are phenomenal characteristics. And you know what's interesting, Terry? I wouldn't have thought of adaptability, but you're absolutely right. You know, they train for adaptability, as you well know. And it's interesting. I've talked to many industry leaders who have hired veterans. And the one thing that oftentimes they'll mention that you mentioned, and I would highlight for our listeners, is the understanding of continuous improvement is innate. They train. They have daily habits that are towards getting better and dealing with different issues, bringing that into the workforce is invaluable. That's a hard thing to instill in people. In traditional academia, it doesn't teach you that. It is a different model. So super, that's going to be a fantastic list of, of attributes that we'll be able to share with people. If I could add one more, making quality decisions is always something you want to do. One thing that a lot of military members are good at is making a quality decision based on minimal information. It could be as simple as they see something that needs to be done, and inherently, they know how to handle it, and they just go do it. They don't often have to seek that extra, hey, how do you want me to do this? They, they just intuitively know, hey, this is how I think it should be done, and I'm going to do it. And if the outcome isn't successful, then I've learned something that I can carry on forward from there. That's a, that's a great one to add to the list. And, and it's interesting. I know culturally at, at Thomas, we use an attribute in our hiring and screening process called GTD. This is somebody who gets things done. And we just reverse engineered from people that are successful in our organization that they know what to do and they know how and when to do it. And they're not afraid to just do it and to get something accomplished as to queue up outside a manager's office and wait to be told what to do. It's a really good example, though. I, I've certainly seen that in the veterans that I've worked with, but I've also seen it in, in manufacturing companies that have hired veterans. They reference that as well. What are three ways? And in, in, Terry, let's not be strict about it. Whatever number you'd like to put out there. For our industrial business leaders that are listening to this, three ways they can develop relationships with and provide opportunities for skilled veterans. And this kind of cuts back to something I mentioned before. We see the attributes that you just mentioned, and then we see the need. But boy, we'd love to help serve as a bit of a connecting mechanism there. So what advice would you give to hiring folks that are listening to this of ways they can reach out and develop relationships? I, th I think the first thing is look within your organization. You may already have veterans that you don't know about. The anecdote I can offer for that is when we started up the veterans group at Saint-Gobain, how was our struggle? 120 sites, how do we know how many veterans we have? And so I worked with HR and I was able to identify approximately 350 people in North America who had self-identified as veterans. Well, my name wasn't on the list and I could think of five or 10 other people that weren't on the list. And when I went and asked them about it, they just didn't feel the need to identify themselves as veterans. So look within, you don't know how many people you have. We ultimately found out that we have around 980 veterans in the company in North America. So you may have more than you than you know. Yeah. In your case, three times what you thought, right? It was a big surprise. So that would be the first thing I would recommend. Second is recruit the talent. Go out to veteran hiring fairs. And there are a lot of them tailored at all ranks or just the officer ranks, designators or ratings. There's all kinds out there that uh, you could 
go and uh, participate in for a minimal fee to get access to the veterans. And usually you get a bunch of resumes and, you know, it's just a matter of interpreting them. And then just the third part to develop the relationship is just that continued commitment of engagement with the veterans that you have or that you're trying to bring in. And it could be as simple as a recognition program based on things that they bring to the table, you know, ideas to improve processes, things like that, or just offering them some continuing education. Yeah, it's interesting, Terry. One thing to note on thomasnet.com, our sourcing platform gets about a million and a half sourcing sessions every month. One of the 185 different filters you can use to find exactly what you're looking for is veteran-owned businesses, by the way. And that filter gets a lot of use because I think people who understand service is a part of that. But I think they also realize that oftentimes those businesses are run very thoughtfully and, and with a strong sense of process, as we've been talking about. What advice would you give to the veteran who might be listening to this to help them plan for a career in industry? And I differentiate here career versus just a job, something that could be enduring or sustaining. First off, if they're still in the military, what they should do is go to their TAP class, their Transition Assistance Program class. There's a wealth of information in there. There are also private companies that are tuned into these and are looking to hire veterans right out of the service. There's a company called GI Jobs that puts out a list of jobs, and it goes to just about every base in the country, and they put it out at the Transition Assistance Program classes. So that, that's one way. Other than that, search for veterans groups in your area if you're already out. Philadelphia, there's a great one called the Greater Philadelphia Veterans Network, and they do a lot of different things. There's companies like 4Block that offers training for people that are out of the service but looking to expand their skill set. And then find a mentor in the industry or find several mentors in the industry that you want to be in and get their guidance on how, how to break into the industry. Don't underestimate what you know already. And that's a big one for a lot of veterans. They don't often write their resume in a way that highlights their best skills. Their best skills may be intangibles, like leadership. You can always put down leadership examples. I ran this project or I built this building. But a lot of times your leadership skills are just those things you display on a daily basis that they don't necessarily recognize. Sticking with that last piece there, Terry, I oftentimes recommend to people of go to a, a mentor, go to a colleague, go to someone who has presented their career experience in a way that, that is really compelling. Because I do think, you know, oftentimes that first step forward is a resume or a, you know, a LinkedIn profile or a profile on thomasnet.com is the way people learn about each other and getting some help in understanding how to present yourself, tell your story. And I think your example of leadership is a fantastic example of that. People think, gosh, I wasn't the senior person. That's not what leadership means. What leadership means are very specific examples at times when you took initiative and you provided some leadership. And, and when you ask it that way, boy, people can start telling your stories all over the place. But I think many people think of leadership as sort of, well, that's a title. You know, Terry's a leader because he's got the title versus, you know, what my, my experience might be different. Hey, Terry, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I want to thank you again for your service, and, and what an inspiring conversation. I've got one more question that we ask all of our guests, and it, it is very simply put, if you could put one sentence on a billboard that best expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? 
Uh, that's a that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> what would I want on a billboard for posterity? I think something that I carry with me is never stop learning, never stop growing. And that could be as simple as learning about yourself or learning a new discipline, whether it's, you know, a new language or a, a different mechanical process. Just never stop learning. Always try and find something to keep yourself engaged. And then never stop growing. If my wife hadn't pointed out to me all those years ago that I wasn't a happy person, I'd probably still be there being that problem manager and, and frankly, being the problem. <laughs> so, yeah, never stop growing. To learn more about Lieutenant Commander Terry Farrell and how his work with San Gabon is redefining industrial opportunities for veterans, please check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback helps us connect with and inform more professionals across the industry. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.